Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. Its faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing environment. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Dr. Michael Bougea, Distinguished Professor of Liberal Arts and Sciences at the Iowa State University Greenlee School of Journalism and Communication. We're talking about the scary rise in the number of people believing in conspiracy theories and journalism's role in fostering those theories. Mickey, the last time we talked, we talked about uh, violence against journalists. Uh, Today, I want to talk about a different topic, and it's one that you raised in a recent article for the uh, Pointer Institute about conspiracy theory. Yeah. Uh, First of all, let's set some groundwork to to catch up our listeners. Uh, What is conspiracy theory? (laughs) Um, a, con- a conspiracy theory is um, basically a, a theory or actually um, a position or viewpoint without adequate evidence that seems to empower a certain group or individual through unethical um, or self-serving means. So if we uh, say that there is a uh, conspiracy of mainstream media uh, against any political uh, person, former President Trump, current President Biden, uh, and uh, it is, it's either a deep state or a swamp or, or, or even outrageous things like uh, President Biden is not really a person. He's just a, a digital automaton. That's why he's wearing a mask. Uh, these are these are just really way out there now. Conspiracy theories used to be um, believable with some fact, but now uh, they seem to be without fact whatsoever. And I think that's uh, that's the problem that we have because conspiracies now are uh, amplified via social media to such extent that uh, people are believing the conspiracy theories over mainstream uh, journalism. And as such, we are uh, a, a divided country. In your article, you, you cited several people who have done research of, about conspiracy theory. And one, one quote stuck out to me as interesting. You, you, he said in the article, conspiracy theorists seek an ordered 
and controlled world and flourish when systems break down. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, that seems to be contradictory to me. Conspiracy theorists seek an ordered and controlled world, but flourish when systems break down. Yeah, this is kind of difficult to understand. Um, Their ordered and controlled world is uh, a world that is uh, constructed by algorithm. In, In other words, if you believe in a particular theory, whether or not there are facts uh, associated with it, and you uh, continue to talk about it on social media, the algorithm will con- will then give you information to affirm your wildest beliefs. And then you are in this world where you feel you know the answer to many things. Uh, you're controlling this world. And anything that contradicts this world is uh, is should not be believed, and, and and that's just one facet of this, Tom. The, the 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 other facet is that mainstream journalism is so slow uh, for a lot of reasons. We've lost one half of newspaper um, editorial positions in the last uh, eight years. Uh, 23% across media, and the uh, continual use of screen time, which now is about 11 uh, hours per day. Uh, social media is about three, then we have work, then we have our cell phone, and, and, and so forth. We are impatient for answers because we're working on computer accelerated time where we think that we should get answers immediately. So right now, the only control that they have is within the algorithm world that has been created for them. The algorithm world gives answers to every fear, every conviction, every value that that person has. And of course, it's confusing to us who have relied on fact to construct our world. But there is another more uh, serious uh, problem that is, uh, uh, I think, afflicting society. And and, and that is, uh, we're spending so much time on digital media and on internet that has been programmed to sell things. You know, the internet was given to us uh, on the hope that uh, it would provide a world of knowledge. And instead, what it's given us is a global mall. So I want you to think about this, Tom. You asked a a very uh, good question, but it has a complex answer. Number one, algorithms give you the world you want rather than the world that exists. Journalism is too slow uh, to give you the factual answers. And now I want you to superimpose this on it that you don't need to know why things occur to make a sale. You need to know how, you need to know when, you need to know where, you need to know who, and you need to know what, but you don't need to know why. 
And in other words, if um, people like hot sauce uh, on their uh, beans uh, when mushrooms uh, blossom in April, uh, that's the time to to buy hot sauce. It does, you don't you don't need to know why people like it. It's just out there. So the internet is all based on sales. Now let's combine the whole three. Number one, the algorithms give you the world, construct the world according to your affinities. And that's the world that you find safe because you can navigate that world. You don't have to change your views on diversity. You don't have to change your views on politics. Everything in that world, the algorithms keep affirming, uh, exists. Then add to the fact that newsrooms can't provide the uh, answers, the why answers, in a timely manner, because we're all on accelerated computer time. We send an email, we want a response. So computers accelerate time. And then the, 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 the other uh, problem uh, that exists it, 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 it is that uh, the whole internet is, is set up to sell you things. And therefore we're living in a world without why. So that's a very complex, you're going to ask me questions, and, and I have studied this since 1999, so I'm going to probably give you some uh, more complex answers than you might be used to. No, that's, that's fine. That's why I'm talking with you. There are some terms that were in your article that, that uh, I, I think break this down in a way that people can understand that... Um, People who follow conspiracy theories are intuitionists versus rationalists. Yeah. And anxiety seeks certainty. The, those, those quotes just really leaped off the page to me. Yeah. Um, we are, first of all, living in a, in a time of high anxiety with the pandemic. The pandemic has kept us indoors. We have increased our screen times. Uh, everyone has increased their screen time, either at a necessity uh, because we no longer can travel to sites uh, or because uh, we have to stay indoors and we can't even visit relatives. Everything about our life has changed. Now, the thing about Americans in particular, and you don't see so much uh, of this in people who understand um, a, a more a less Western uh, culture, uh, particularly Asian cultures, are good at adapting. Asian cultures, uh, you know, and this goes back to uh, philosophers like Mencius. And Mencius says that the only thing you can count on in the world is change. So the best value you can adopt is adaptability. Okay, but that's a very Asian philosophy view of life. In Occidental society, when we want things, we want them now. We want our goals now. We believe if we do the right things, the right things will happen. We are loath to adapt. We are loath to change our opinions, our convictions, and our desires. And so this is a time of anxiety, particularly in America, because we're used to being in control of our fate. And what the pandemic has taught us is that nothing we have planned has worked out because there's something greater than ourselves. So I tell my students, 
that the best value they can have is adaptability. We are slowly learning adaptability, but a lot of the stuff that you, you mentioned in the pointer uh, article are people who have refused to adapt. They do not want to adapt to mail-in voting. They do not want to adapt to um, a, a new uh, president. They do not want to adapt to changing their values. They don't want to adapt to listening to alternative viewpoints. And the result is a lot of anxiety to the extent that we had January 6th at the U.S. Capitol with all sorts of flags and conspiracy theories that have been promoted about voter fraud, about March 4th, there's not really a president. We are living in a world of hoaxes. And the, the mainstream media is not doing much to eliminate that because they no longer are the chief source of uh, agenda framing in society. Well, let me jump in here because you, you had another statement in your article that that struck me, and uh, I want you to build on this if you could. Okay. Uh, you say conspiracy theories thrive in misinformation pandemics. Are we in a misinformation pandemic? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, we. Th this is really. Uh, this is really a kind of. Um, I don't know how to put it other other than a fake news pandemic. People want to believe the news that affirms their desires, their fears, their deepest convictions, their religious beliefs. And the problem is, is that fact doesn't really apply to politics. The um, COVID-19 pandemic doesn't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative or, or a liberal. And you see people are actually um, going against science, going against scientific fact. And this is why we have more than one half million deaths in America, far exceeding what we should have had. And the fact that, and, I, and I'm going to tell you something, I don't understand this at all. I don't understand how people in this day and age put politics and convictions above their own health. And, and, and it said something to me that I think is, is, is very, um, very upsetting and that people would rather risk their lives than change their biases. And, and to me, that is really frightening because it says that fact no longer matters. Now, we can blame mainstream media for this. For years, they tried to give people what they want. In other words, they did zip code journalism. And then what they tried to do is um, uh, organize a world that was conflicting with a subscription. So they started to move toward talking heads. Fewer reporters, more talking heads, the talking heads filled in the gap of 24-7 media and the desire to have instant answers to fears and convictions and values. So all of this has resulted in a pandemic of misinformation. And it gets to the point where I can no longer watch uh, CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, because they're always talking about what we fear 
And, and, and then if we go to good news sites like the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, NPR, uh, less on NPR, but we get all these opinions in the New York Times. And then, in other words, their opinion pages are, are highlighted because the interval between knowing the answer to a question is so long now that instead of listening to investigative uh, reporters, we listen to web sleuths. So yes, we are in a pandemic of, of, of information. I wanna tell you something else about misinformation. The people who, and this is not a conspiracy theory, this is a fact, that those who believe in conspiracy theories, those who will not change their attitudes are not destined to get ahead in the world. They will be held back by misinformation. And those who are in possession of the facts, they will be able to manipulate those who are not in the possession of the facts. And this is why we see so much manipulation in terms of what we buy, what we think we need, uh, the whole system of truth telling and science is in jeopardy right now. Let me uh, give you an example um, and, and ask a question at the end. The example is that when I was judge, uh, the courtroom was a venue or an arena or a theater, depending on how you wish to characterize it, to determine truth. And one, whether it was a jury or me as the individual judge, would listen to statements of fact as people construed that fact, either eyewitnesses or data or expert testimony. But the ultimate was to find truth from those facts. Where does that system break down in mass media? It, it, it no longer exists in mass media, but I want to say something about the judicial system. I think without the judicial system operating on fact, as you just defined it, we would have been in a world of hurt right now. A democracy would have been at stake. The idea that the January 6th insurrection was uh, happened, uh, it, it, 60 plus court cases said there was no fraud. And, you know, the idea that the, the, the bad news is that people didn't want to believe the court system and, and that uh, President Trump in particular, former President Trump in particular, was able to convince a whole swath of people that there was voter fraud and that he won by a landslide. And yet each of, and, and, and the, in other words, the legislative um, branch of our government uh, failed. But what did not fail was the court system. Even at the Supreme Court, where there were three judges appointed by former President Trump, every one of 60 plus court cases were thrown out for the lack of fact. And yet via social media, we were able to have January the 6th. So if you want to have an idea of the power of social media, the idea that uh, former President Trump was banned from social media, look at the influence he has lost. And now what we have is people positioning to be the next 
President Trump and, 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 and so on. But without his voice being amplified, the uh, idea of uh, insurrection has faded. This is the power of social media. Now, I know people are going to say, oh, Bishaya is anti-President Trump. Well, I was a Republican for decades uh, and a conservative Republican. And, 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 and yet I understood what the facts were. The states enabled mail-in voting. The states, Republicans and Democrats, approved mail-in voting. The idea that mail-in voting led to all these cases of frauds were debunked by the FBI, by the Justice Department, by election officials. And yet, because of social media, these facts were changed. And now what we're dealing with is 40 states instituting uh, voter, um, uh, voter laws Restrictions. Based on things, yeah, based on based on things that never happened. So, if this is the life that we're going to lead, then I have less hope for democracy than I did. On the other hand, uh, we've got to criticize mainstream journalism. It is not keeping up with um, with the demand for fact because the bottom line is the margins are so thin in the objective area. So I think what we need to do, and you saw this in the Pointer article, is we need to rebuild our newsrooms, but we're not going to rebuild our newsrooms based on an advertising model because that model is broken. The biggest ad, the, where, where have the ads gone? They've gone to Google, they've gone to Facebook, they've got to Instagram, uh, all the uh, search engines that are out there. So advertising is drying up. And it used to be that advertising locally would talk about your Honda dealership. Well, we don't have to advertise in newspapers about the Honda dealership because the, the Honda company has its own website that localizes all those ads. So the advertising is drying up. So what we need are um, new models of journalism, such, uh, so, uh, so in other words, that they are they are operated by grants. They are not. Uh, they are nonprofits. We also uh, need to educate our uh, college students about media and technology literacy. And the last thing we've got to do is what Canada and Australia have done. We've got to start charging the uh, online social media and search engines every time a link is there. Without that. I don't see much hope for fact coming back to uh, to uh, be a dominant decider in, in society. I want to say something else. Generation Z is one of the most idealistic, and it gives me hope because I think this generation, which was brought up in um, the Great Recession of 2008 through 2010, the pandemic. These are young people who don't want the world that we have right now. I think as they become older and empowered, a lot of the ills that we have now, from the baby boomers, from the millennials, uh, all that is going to change. And unless we, we start regulating social media, it will control us. And, and so all this is built into your question, Tom, and, and it's not a political question. It's an idea that the courts held up. Without the courts, we would be in terrible shape right now. We'll be back after this message. 
The Scripps College of Communication is designed to bring forth the people who bring forth knowledge by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means it succeeds. The Scripps College of Communication is where one generation of thought leaders and storytellers opens the doors for the next. Educating and inspiring each other, bridging disciplines, forging connections, pushing beyond the syllabus and beyond limits. And because all participants belong to a far-reaching community of achievers, they reach higher and further not just ready for change, but hungry for it, demanding that ideas be heard, perspectives shared, and visions realized. This is how the Scripps College moves the world forward. This is what knowledge demands, and this is why the Scripps College of Communications exists. To make it loud, to make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. I remember early in, in uh, 2017, after President Trump uh, took office, I was listening to uh, a commentator. I wish I could remember her name. I can't. Uh, on radio one day when I was traveling, and she said there is... And there will be, in the next few years, no such thing as truth. Uh, Then we followed that up with Kellyanne Conway's uh, famous uh, alternative facts, uh, saying basically the same thing, that there is no such thing as truth. Yeah, let's let's handle that, okay? Okay. Let's let's handle truth. And not only... Uh, Kellyanne Conway uh, said that there are alternative facts. Um, Rudy Giuliani said truth is not truth. Okay, this is as unconservative a model as you can imagine. And, you know, the idea that truth is not truth and that there are alternative facts. You know what that is, Tom? That's called moral relativism. And moral relativism has been associated with atheists it's been associated with people um, who are very progressive, that there is no real truth, that there are different cultural beliefs. The idea that conservatives have glommed onto this is, for me, a philosophical issue. The idea that there are no, of course there are truths. I'll give you an example. You can't live on the sun. That's not relative. That's real. Uh, we can send uh, astronauts to Mars, but if they take off their spacesuits and helmets, they will die. That that's real, and there are there are many truths that are relative. I will uh, admit that, and p- perhaps ninety nine percent of truths can be looked at in different viewpoints. But there are certain truths from culture to culture where no philosopher will have any disagreement with it. It is right to tell the truth. It is wrong to lie. It is right to be generous. It is wrong to humiliate animals. Uh, it, it is right to have empathy. It is wrong to torment children. Uh, it, is, it is right to treat people as you wish to be treated. It is wrong to harass 
or cause violence on them. These are truths that you can look at from a spiritual perspective or from an evolutionary perspective, and it comes out the same. So, okay, let's say that there are, uh, that most of truths are relative. Not when you join an organization. At Ohio University, there's a faculty handbook, for instance. If you're going to belong to an organization or work for a company, there's their code of conduct. Almost everything in life, including the laws that we must abide by, have standards of conduct that we have to agree to. If not, there can be consequences. So this whole idea of conspiracy works against that. And it is against actually conservative views that there are real truths. Uh, so I don't know how the movement ended up saying that there are alternative facts and truth is not truth. To me, that just sounds like more conspiracies. Well, you combine that with the term fake news and enemy of the people, and, and you, <laughs> that's where it, it's headed. I, I want to change gears here just a bit. You, you had a quote, uh, and I think I wrote it down correctly, uh, in your analysis in, in your article. You said, journalism is not dead, but on life support. Social media dominates civil or civic, political, and familial debate, offering snap judgments to affinity groups. Now, th that's a whole lot in one paragraph and, and two sentences. If I read that one way, I see this as major doom and gloom. Uh, journalism's not dead, but it's on life support. Social media becomes the journalism of the 21st century. We live by the town crier, and those who uh, cry loudest get more credibility, despite uh, whether it's it's factual or or, or not. Can you uh, sort of unpack that a little bit? I hate that term, but I, 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 it fits here. Can you unpack that a little bit for yeah, me? Yeah, I, I, I can. And, and you know, um, you know me now. Oh my gosh, probably for a half century. Yeah. Okay. Look, and you know that I love journalism, right? Absolutely. You know that I write about journalism all the time, and for me to be the figurehead of journalism, one of the figureheads. Um, and, and I have been writing about journalism and have been a journalist now, and I'm still a working journalist, to say that it is not dead, but on life support, that has um, struck fear in many people. Because if Bichet is saying it's on life support, then we're really in trouble because he is a journalism advocate. It is on life support. We should have, a, a decade ago, we should have been uh, teaching media and technology literacy in requiring that in K through 12, and especially in, in uh, university life. We did not do that. Uh, journalism instead uh, believed everything that the consultants told them about digital media. Uh, if they put everything for free, that people would get subscriptions. They did not. Why should you buy a subscription if everything is free? Okay, that has led to drastic declines in subscriptions, and we already talked about the declines in advertising. There is no more money 
out there to fund journalism. And what's going to happen is the social media giants, which are so much larger and so much more powerful than any of the than any of the media companies of CBS, of the Washington Post, of the New York Times, Google and Facebook and Instagram and Apple and Microsoft are huge conglomerates. They are the ones that control where the advertising is going. So unless we have a new model to fund journalism, it is on life support. People are not reading as much as they should be reading. And you know, uh, that that in and of itself is, is, is an, an answer to why newspapers are losing so many people. Okay, so social media dominates civic, political, and familiar debate. I, off, I, I just got done saying, what happened to, uh, what happened to President Trump? He got, uh, banned from Twitter and his power diminished significantly. Social media, and we spend so many, three to five hours per day uh, listening to social media that continues to affirm our perception. Now let's talk about this from philosophy. And a, ph a philosophy says that the that people who, who know about life and who want to live a good life know that their perception is biased by their family upbringing, by their religion, by their cultural beliefs, by even their sex and so They understand that their perception is not reality. We are living in a world in which most, most Americans believe without fact that their perception actually is reality. And if you believe that your perception is reality and it's affirmed continuously by algorithms and social media without a balance from journalism to give fact-based journalism to give you an alternative view, we are not only going to believe uh, our fears and desires and our convictions and our values and our mostly our biases, we're going to want them affirmed immediately because we're living on technological time, which is accelerated. And anyone who wants to know about technology time has to understand that we're living in a world where we have on-demand intimacy, we have on-demand knowledge, we have on everything is on demand. You know, we have forgotten that patience leads to the best results. So this is a way to unpack that. And we've actually, we've talked about that. Now we're living in the age of conspiracy now where there is no real truth, where there are always alternative facts, where, and, and what has, what has this done? This has, this has, it's, we now do not know the whys of our feelings, we only know that we have them. We don't know the whys of our convictions. We only know that we have them. And if you ask, what are the biggest problems right now in society? I challenge the listeners to find out where the why is. The why is missing because we're living in a world without why and without why we don't understand how to lead our lives. So it's a very dangerous time. This may or may not be related, so uh, uh, pardon my question, but um, I read less now than I ever have, and I have more time to read, but I read less. Uh, I uh, curate my uh, news through social media uh, predominantly. I read fewer news sources. I, I read, you know, the the typical New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, you know, Bloomberg, Reuters, Guardian. But uh, 
you know, that's that's the elite. I read no local news because there isn't any. Uh, am I typical or is this atypical? And if it's typical, what's that doing to me? It is changing your brain. Okay, now, um, I don't have this up yet, but you can, uh, I have written, I've done studies on this. If you um, go to the Chronicle of Higher Education, put in my last name, B-U-G-E-J-A, and put in for extra credit, read a print book. I had, I have a, I, I teach uh, technology and social change, which is basically about artificial intelligence at Iowa State University of Science and Technology. And I had an idea that I did a study about, and that is uh, I assigned a book review, as many professors do, but I said, I'll give you 25 extra credit points if you bring in the print book that you're going to review. In other words, you can't go online. You have to use a print book. And the whole, I've done this study twice, and it, the second study replicated the first one. The students had never, many students had never read a print book, ever, okay? And what happened uh, is was actually news, national news. Uh, so many things happen. Num number one happened in order. The, a book is the uh, ultimate firewalled medium, right? In other words, to read a book and to understand it, particularly for a class, you got to shut off your cell phone. And if they didn't shut off the cell phone, the cell phone was continuously pinging, and they 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 had to put it aside. Some people actually abandoned their apartment gave their cell phones to people because they couldn't get through the book without being interrupted by notifications, okay? And in addition to that, all sorts of things happened. For instance, on one of my students, a parent gave a welfare check because the student had texts from the mother that the, that the student wasn't answering because she was engrossed in a book. The, the whole idea of reading now is on life support because we're reading on... Uh, we're reading on iPads, we're reading on cell phones, we're reading on laptops, and we're constantly getting distracted by all these uh, notifications. This has become so upsetting uh, in some of my studies that, for instance, pilots now ha are not learning by uh, test, uh, testing out on, on new, uh, new airplanes. They are looking at, uh, they are qualifying for new airplanes including including ones that have had some problems by studying them on their iPod while they're getting Facebook notifications. And, and, and the distraction that we get with cell phones has caused us to stop reading. The idea that we're reading less, we may be reading more online, but I don't consider that reading because our concentration is continuously broken. This is why that that experiment that I did with reading a print book was so essential. Local news is, uh, I would say, no longer on life support. It's it's basically dead. Um, final area I want to talk about is how do we resurrect journalism, or is it to be resurrected? Or is it to be reinvented? Yeah, uh, I have thought long and hard on this, and my period and my and my views on this have changed in the past decade. Uh, 
about in 2010, there were there were books that came out that said everyone is a journalist now. And I did. I dislike those books because if everybody is a journalist, then they don't know about law. They don't know about copyright. They don't know about First Amendment. They don't know about standards. They don't know about our our our, our expectations of fact. And I said that we are going to get a lot of fake news. Well, that, that happened. We got a lot of fake news. But now I'm thinking that journalism is so much on life support, so near to death, that the only thing that we have left is to make journalism a, gen, a general education requirement for every college student, along with media and technology literacy. I'm at the point now where I want everyday citizens to know about the importance of journalism. I want everyday citizens to know about our standards. I want everyday citizens to know about First Amendment. And if they do, they can help write the vacuum that journalism is on. There is one thing left that I talk about in my article that can resurrect, journal, resurrect journalism. And that is the ad, in other words, subscription-based journalism is more important than ever. Social media cannot just steal articles with links and then not pay the, the organizations that are gathering all of those facts. So general education, uh, nonprofit journalism, combined with payouts from social media to news organizations are the only way we're going to resurrect journalism in the current age of conspiracy. You, those are tweaks to the system. Um, last, last question. I'm thinking in, in my thoughts uh, that journalism has to be reinvented. Uh, that going back and tinkering with old models doesn't work, that somehow journalism has to adapt to a social media model, but with journalistic ethics, journalistic tenacity, journalistic uh, uh, values. Uh, I, I don't see it going back and changing, even with a nonprofit basis. It's got to be a new way of delivering old journalism. Tom, I couldn't disagree with you more. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 reason, the reason why I disagree with you is that what I have studied and what my research has shown. Okay. And this goes all the way back to Marshall McLuhan. It is not the message. It is the technology that delivers the message. Okay. It's not reinventing journalism through social media. To be honest, that train has left the station 10 years ago. People have tried to do that. They have failed. And the reason is that the medium of social media has its own biases built into the algorithms so that you can't reinvent journalism. There is no way to reinvent the, you know, oh, look, is there, a, is there a way, Tom, in the courts to reinvent fact? No, no. of course not. Right. If no. I said to you, we have to reinvent the judicial system because we have to reinvent fact and how it's presented in the courts, you would say no to that. Right. And that's because the courts have largely been shielded from social media. They have largely been shielded from the biases of the machine. 
And a lot of my work I talk about in my, in my 2017 book called Interpersonal Divide in the Age of the Machine. It shows how the machine changes humane values like truth and trust and responsibility. It changes everything that we put into it. Now, this goes back to the technology philosopher Jacques Ellul that says technology changes everything it touches without itself being changed much at all. Introduce it in education, and education's all about the technology. Introduce it into the economy, and the economy is all about technology. Introduce it into politics, and politics is all about technology. Introduce it to journalism, and journalism is all about the technology. We have seen where that has brought us. It has brought us to the brink of losing our democracy. So, no, journalism cannot be reinvented the same way fact cannot be reinvented, the same way courts of law cannot be in, reinvented. So I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you more on reinventing journalism. There is not much hope apart from education. Uh, there is no short-term fix to this. There's no technological fix to it. The only fixes we have left is educating the emerging generations so that they either become journalists, understand journalism, or understand how media biases the message. So we are in that system right now where there, I have lost hope in the short term, and it's taken me more than a decade to lose that hope. And remember, you're talking to a journalism advocate. Oh, no right. journalism more than me. And I'm telling you, it's nearly dead. And the, the reason why it's nearly dead, Tom, is because you can't reinvent fact. Fact is fact. Truth is truth. And journalism spent centuries figuring out how to deliver fact apart from yellow journalism, how to deliver fact in an objective manner after World War II, how to deliver fact so that we understand the ravages of war for journalists who put their lives on the line. And I'm sorry, Time, you can't put your, your life on the line in your pajamas doing journalism at four in the morning after you've eaten breakfast in the comfort of your pandemic safe home. Well, Mickey, it's always great to talk with you and and get your perspectives it's it's uh, i always enjoy having civil debate with you uh i always come away uh learning more uh than i thought i would as i went into the conversation i really appreciate you i appreciate you notice i didn't hesitate with any of your questions no you did not and, and these are these are things that i you know, in, in summary, that these are things that people have uh, people have to think about. We really have to think about it. You've obviously thought about it to to the extreme uh, because it's your field. But everyone has to start thinking about it. You know, I've been thinking about it now. But you know, you disagree with one of my analysis, but I've been thinking about it. Everybody needs to think about this stuff. And they need to do it without the political bias. I mean, for Pete's sake, you know, most people will say he's a journal. I was a Republican for decades. You know, I, I believed in less government. I, I believed in, in conservative values. I, 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 I you know, I, I don't believe in honoring one individual over Republican values from Abraham Lincoln on. That doesn't make me 
uh, a biased person. That's my that's my background. But I always try to adjust for my backgrounds by listening to other viewpoints. And there's one thing that I like to leave the listening audience with. I know that my perception is not reality. And what I try to do with my scholarship and research is come closer to that reality. And the more close I can come via fact, the more I change my opinion. And the best, uh, the best result of that is 10 years ago, I thought that it was wrong for have citizen journalism. I have changed over the 10 years because I believe that's the only alternative we have left. Mickey, again, thank you so much. Appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you, Tom. Today, we're joined by Dr. Michael Bouget, a distinguished professor at the Greenlee School of Journalism and Communication at Iowa State University. We talked about the role of journalism in promoting conspiracy theories. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available through the NPR Podcast directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have any questions or comments about our podcasts or have suggested topics for us to cover in the future, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. 